السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم فقهنا في الدين So inshallah today we will conclude abwaab sifatu salah the chapters concerning the description of the prayer and we were studying bab wudu as-sibyani wa mata yajibu alayhim al-ghusl wat-tuhur wa hudurihim al-jama'ata wal-eidayn wal-janaiza wa sufufihim that at what age are children required to perform wudu for the purpose of prayer and especially children over here refers to who boys young boys who have not reached the age of puberty but at the same time they're not little children and especially around the age when prayer becomes obligatory on children so for example at the age of 7 children should be taught how to pray and by the age of 10 they should be praying which is why if they take the matter of prayer lightly then they have to be disciplined and majority of the boys at the age of 10 they have not reached the age of puberty and likewise when boys they have to pray then that means they have to pray like men which means that they have to pray with the men in the masjid in jamaa and which means that they have to go for friday salah also and obviously at times they will have to go for janaza prayer and they also have to go for eid prayers so boys who are of this age should they be performing wudu should they be performing ghusl for the friday prayer or is it not mandatory on them what's the answer from the ahadith that we have learned so far when it comes to wudu should they be performing wudu Yes, what's the evidence? Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Anas radiallahu anhu was not related to Maymuna radiallahu anha. Okay? Ibn Abbas was related to Maymuna radiallahu anha. How? That she was his khala. Right? His aunt. Maternal aunt. So, he spent the night with her in her house and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was also there because she was the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And what happened? During the night he saw that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam got up in order to pray and before he prayed what did he do he performed wudu and ibn abbas he also got up performed wudu and prayed next to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he came and joined him on his left side and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam moved him onto his right side which means that when a boy prays then he has to do wudu because prayer is something obligatory on him an obligatory action you have to fulfill all the preconditions and one of the prerequisites of prayer is tahara wudu correct and secondly we see the evidence is that the fact that he moved him from his left side to his right side to make the saf proper shows that even children have to observe the proper etiquette the proper rules of salah it will take time for them to perfect it with age and with maturity these things will become better but they should be guided in that direction from the beginning meaning from the time when prayer becomes uh, mandatory on them so inshallah we will begin from hadith number 870 haddathana abul yamani qala akhbarana shu'ayb an az-zuhri qala akhbarani urwat ibn az-zubayri an aisha qalat she said aisha radhiyallahu anha she narrated that a'tama an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a'tama What does atama mean? From atma. Atma is late night. Al-atama is used for isha prayer when it is prayed really late, 
not after its due time, but you know, at the very end of it. So one night, the Prophet ﷺ delayed Salatul Isha. وَقَالَ عَيَّاشٌ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الْأَعْلَى حَدَّثَنَا مَعْمَرَ عَنِ الزُّهْرِيِّ عَنْ عُرْوَةَ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا قَالَتْ أَعْتَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ فِي الْعِشَاءِ So in one narration, it's just أَعْتَمَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ In the other narration, it is أَعْتَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ فِي الْعِشَاءِ حَتَّى أَنْتِلْ نَادَاهُ عُمَرُ عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ He called him. Meaning from the masjid, he called the Prophet ﷺ and he said, قَدْ In fact, نَامَ النِّسَاءُ وَالصِّبِيَانِ The women and the children have gone to sleep. Meaning in the masjid, they've been sitting, waiting for the prayer. And the women have gone to sleep and the children have also fell asleep. فَخَرَجَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ Then the Prophet ﷺ came out, meaning in order to lead the people in prayer. فَقَالَ So he said, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ أَحَدٌ Indeed, there is no one. مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ From the people of the earth. يُصَلِّي Who is praying salah. هَذِهِ الصَّلَةِ This prayer, meaning the Isha prayer, غَيْرُكُمْ other than you. There is no one amongst the inhabitants of the earth who have prayed this salah but you. Only you have performed this prayer. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ And there is no one. يَوْمَ إِذِنْ This day يُصَلِّي Who is performing the prayer غَيْرَ أَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ Except for the people of Medina. So there is a number of things in this hadith. First of all, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ prayed Salatul Isha late. When it comes to the performance of prayer, remember that it should be done as early as possible. However, when it comes to Salatul Isha, then what is preferred? That it should be prayed late. Why? Because after Salatul Isha, the Prophet ﷺ disliked that people should converse, right? And they should stay awake. Unless someone has something very important and urgent to do or something you know, with the family or with guests, then that is a different situation. But generally, one should not stay awake after Isha. Now, at certain times of the year, Isha is very early. So when you pray Isha at 7 o'clock in the night, does it mean that you sleep by 8? When will you do your work? So in these situations, in such days, what is better? That you delay Isha until as late as possible. And this is also a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu Secondly, we see that in the masjid, the people were waiting. Okay, They were waiting for the prayer to begin. And amongst those people was who? Women and children. Women and children. Because while they were waiting, they fell asleep. So in other words, they had been waiting for a long time. So this shows that women came to the masjid in order to pray. And the children also came. So Imam Bukhari is proving over here about children performing the prayer along with the adults. So this hadith shows that the children at the time of the Prophet ﷺ used to pray with the rest of the people. Then we also see that the Prophet ﷺ encouraged the people. When he came, he said that there is no one who prayed this prayer except for you. Because think about it. At which other place in the world at that time was salah being performed in congregation? Nowhere. Yes, there were Muslims in Makkah. Yes, there were Muslims in other places. But could they perform salat in Jama'ah? No, they couldn't. Especially in Makkah. No way. So he encouraged them that, look, only you prayed salah at this hour, at this time. Earlier we learned that a person should be eager to perform salah at different places. Hmm? Which is why there is an encouragement to move 
even a step to the right or a step forward or a step back so that you're prostrating in a different location. Because the more places you perform your salah in, the more witnesses you will have on the Day of Judgment. This hadith shows to us that we should also be eager to perform the prayer at different times. At different times. As long as that time is correct. Okay? Not that a person starts to pray salah at forbidden time. Okay? No. At different times also, one should perform the prayer. And sometimes it happens that if you're the only one praying, it becomes discouraging. So for example, in the morning, after the sun has risen completely, at that time when everybody's getting ready to go or you know, getting ready to start their day, stopping your work and performing two rakah or four rakah or six rakah, whatever, it may be difficult. Nobody's doing it. Why should I do it? But do it. If you have the time and if you have the ability, then certainly do it. So there is an encouragement in this hadith to perform salah at various times also. Alright. A man said to Ibn Abbas, Shahidta al Khuruja Ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Shahidta, you witnessed al Khuruja, the going out, Ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning you were present. At that time, when the Prophet ﷺ went out, this khuruj, what is this referring to? For the Eid prayer. Because which prayer is not performed in the masjid? Out in the open. The Eid prayer, right? I mean, this was the way of the Prophet ﷺ. That's what he would prefer. Go, Everybody go out in the open and perform the salah over there. So Ibn Abbas was asked, were you present? Were you there? قَالَ نَعَمْ He said, Yes, I was. وَلَوْلَا مَكَانِي مِنْهُ مَا شَهِدْتُهُ وَلَوْلَا And if it was not مَكَانِي My position مِنْهُ From him meaning to him مَا شَهِدْتُهُ I would not have witnessed it. Which مَكَان Which position of his is he referring to? The fact that he was a relative right, of the Prophet ﷺ And you know that when people are going for Eid who's with them? Their relatives. Right? And especially extended families, usually they go out together for Eid. They're together for the purpose of Eid. And also because Ibn Abbas at this time was young. Okay, so this is what he was implying. يَعْنِي min صِغَرِهِ Meaning, his young age. This is what he was implying. Okay. Ata he came, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, when he went out for the Eid prayer, he came, Al-Alam. What is Alam? Not ilm, Alam. A mark, a sign. Okay. So he came to the mark, the sign, Alladi which in the is near Dari home, Kathir ibn Salt. Near the house of Kathir ibn Salt. So what is he referring to? The landmark. And at that time, obviously, people would, you know, tell about a certain place by the natural landmarks that were there. So he said the Prophet ﷺ came there, that landmark, Thumma Khataba, then he Address the people. Summa then atan nisa'a. He came to the women, meaning the place where the women were. He went over there. Fawa'awahunna. And he advised them. Wadakkarahunna. And he reminded them. Wa'amarahunna. And he commanded them. Ayyatasaddaqna. That they should give in charity. Fajalatil maratu. So a woman put tuhwi. Tuhwi. What does it mean? Hawa. To go down. وَالنَّجْمِ إِذَا 
This is Bab Ifal. You're doing the action on something else. Make something to fall. So she would, in other words, throw, okay, put down, biyadiha with her hand, ila halqiha, halq. What is halq? Necklace. Hmm? Halq is basically something that is round. Okay, so it can refer to a ring, it can refer to a necklace, it can even refer to an earring, basically her jewelry. Tulqi fi thawbi bilal. And she would throw it in the cloth of Bilal radiallahu anhu because he was also with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Summa ata huwa wa bilalun al-bayta. Then after that, him and Bilal, they went to the house, meaning the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So anyway, in this hadith, what do we see that Ibn Abbas, he's saying that yes, of course, I was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on Eid. I went out with him and he stood at that location and he addressed the people and then he went to the women. Now tell me something. Could a lot of men go with the Prophet ﷺ to the women's side? No. Bilal who went, okay, there was a reason behind that. But from this narration, it seems that Ibn Abbas was also there. How could he go? He was a child, so he tagged along. Hmm? So again, this hadith shows that children, they should be present at the time of prayer in larger congregations as well as smaller congregations, wherever it may be. And this is Eid prayer. Now, in all of these ahadith, janaiz are not mentioned. Okay? In the bab, what is mentioned? Eidain. The two Eid prayers are mentioned. This hadith proves it. But the Eid prayer is a very large congregation. And from that, by extension, we also learn that even janazah prayer, children may attend. Janazah prayer, children may attend. Think about it. Janazah. What is janazah? Someone has died. There is going to be a dead body, which is going to be carried to the graveyard by the men. Hmm? Which is going to be buried. And children should be allowed to witness these things? Aren't they going to get scared? Did any one of you see a dead body in young age when you were little? When was your first exposure? How old were you? Yes. Uh, we were just driving on the road, and I still remember I was a child in the car in the back seat, and um, my parents were like trying to ward us to see it, and I still like they said don't look on the right, and obviously I looked on the right, <laughs> so I saw those bodies, and I still remember like it looked really scary. You couldn't see the bodies like in person; it was really far, but you could make out the body type, and there were three people; their faces were bagged and just hanging there. They had asked all of us, because it was a classroom school, they asked all the students to go to their home and uh, visit. Like we saw that, that's the first, I think, uh, I remember vague, I remember my grandparents passing away vaguely, but my this one was I remember when I was in class one. Mm-hmm. And I think that age you you still remember. I was six years old, mm-hmm. and we went to this person's house to see, like sort of pay our respects to the body. I'm astonished to know that none of you saw a dead body before the age of eight. Hmm? I mean, the earliest age that we have is eight in this group of people that we're sitting together. The fact is that we don't talk to children about death. We don't expose them to this very, very important reality. 
And as a result, what happens is that children, when they're growing up, they get very attached to this life and very attached to the things of this world because they don't have anywhere in their mind that one day we have to leave it, everybody has to leave it, this dunya is not forever. And this is something that children need to learn from a very, very young age because this is al-yaqeen. وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ What is al-yaqeen? Death. It is the most certain reality of this life. Death. We're all going to die. And we think that the children are going to be afraid. Uh, they're going to be traumatized. I'm not saying expose them to every detail. But let them become familiar with the concept that everyone who comes to this world one day will leave. When there is a death in the family, sometimes children are not informed at all. When there is a janazah and the body is lying over there in the house, children are not shown. They're not, they're, they're not exposed. But when they will see a dead body, the one they will pray for a dead body, they will begin to think about death. And it's very important. what we see on TV or um, stories and it all, it's almost as if it's not a reality um, and we don't realize what true death is until we experience it sometimes so it's it's really important to, to prepare a child for yes. that mentally and initially there is complete ignorance and when there is slight awareness it comes with a lot of fear right so many people they develop fear of death and of course it is scary But just the mention of death scares people. Hmm? One thing that I've experienced when I was telling my son about death, that he couldn't understand. What do you mean? That we will die? You know, it's something that this concept he could not grasp. Somebody, I think he was asking me about my grandparents. So I want to tell him that all of them are not alive. So I didn't know how to explain to him. So I said the angels came and took them. Because everyone is going to be in this world for some time. And then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides, then Allah will send the angels. And then the angels will come and take the person. And then they have to wait until the day of judgment. And that is where I told him about the angels of death. What they're like. Either they're good, very beautiful, with shiny, beautiful faces. Or they're scary. And they beat a person. I just told him about good, beautiful angels and scary angels. When I was telling him about scary angels, he started crying. I thought I you know, went a little too far. Then I comforted him that if a person does good things, then only good angels will come. They will bring fragrance, they will bring beautiful clothes, soft clothes, they will give him good news. Then a person will see Jannah. You know, obviously, a window to Jannah is open and a person is shown his home in the grave. So, a few details. So that at least there is some familiarity. Because who knows, they might have to witness our death. They might have to witness our death. Right? How many young children are there whose parents pass away? So you want that your children have the strength to accept these realities so that, may Allah protect everyone, but you never know what they may have to face in their lives. We become very attached to people. We love people, our family members, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, all these people, very attached, cousins. But everyone's life and death is in Allah's hands.
one day everyone is going to leave. And we want that our children should maintain their iman and should grow in their faith when these tragedies, they come in their way. So it's necessary to prepare them from before. At least make them familiar with the concept of death. She had the questions. She was asking me what happened with Dada, Dadi, where did they go? I said, they passed away. So then she asked herself, do everybody has to die? I said, yes, everybody has to die. You will die too? Yes, I will die too. And then she started crying. Uh, if you die, what will I do? What if I need you? Then I, for a second I was just, uh, what should I say? Then I said, okay, don't worry. Allah will be there and He will take care of you and He has angels who always take care of you. Yeah, but uh, then somebody will take care of me. And she was like making sure, okay, if I need you uh, and you are not there, you are gone, then what I will do? Yes. So that was the first interaction I had with her. And then we had this kind of interactions two, three more times. And same questions she had, that you will die too. I said, yeah, I will. And then she she was worried that what will I do? That I will die too. I said, yes, you will also die. Yeah. And just yesterday, maybe they learned in class or something, she came to me and she just started, uh, you know, Mama, dunya, this uh, earth is not our home. I said, yes, I know it's not our home. You know, children, they have amazing ability to imagine. And this is something that we really need to take, you know, full advantage of. Tell them about Jannah. Describe Jannah to them. Tell them about the rivers of Jannah, the homes of Jannah. The descriptions that we learn from the Quran and Sunnah, share those details with them. And, you know, recently my son, something broke. And his aunt, she said that, Beta, this is dunya. In dunya, nothing stays forever. Nothing stays forever. Either it will break, it will finish, or we will finish. But she just said this one thing. This is dunya. And he's just looking at her like, what are you talking about? But I thought, this is also important for children to understand. Because their things break, they get hurt, they lose things, they get upset. And why is it that we react so much because we don't understand the reality of this world. So it's necessary that these concepts, they're built on from a very young age. Through this concept of death, build on akhirah, hellfire, paradise. The fact that, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ We came from Allah and we go back to Him. The fact that, I will not be there for you, but Allah will be there for you. Allah loves you more than I do. So whenever I tell my son, I love you, he says, yeah, but... Allah loves me more than you love me. So these are things that we really need to keep reminding them of so that they don't think that we are everything to them. No, we're just human beings. Yeah, Every child is different. Uh, you never know what may make sense to them. Uh, for some children, it might be difficult to understand the concept of a grave. For others, it may be difficult to understand what do you mean we die. Whatever. Every mother knows what her child will be able to understand. So... Through whatever means, teach them. Hmm? So children may also be taken to where? Salatul Janazah. Many years ago at Al-Huda, one of the sisters who was visiting, she passed away in the masjid. And my niece was here. And she actually saw 
she saw the dead body she saw the paramedics come and um she was in shock that what happened but she and she had many questions and my sister and my mother both and they explained to her this girl is different in the way she thinks because from a very young age she saw a dead body she understood we're not here forever she had so many questions and everything was explained to her but children when they ask these questions we say it's okay don't worry everything will be okay distract the child don't let them talk about death don't let them hear anything about death you know if somebody has died and the children ask where is so and so they say we say they're in jannah how do you know they're in jannah this is a very common answer that i've heard people give they're in jannah how do you know tell them they have passed away the angels came and took them now they're not in this world anymore and this is a reality that we need to make our children aware of the earlier it is the better it is for them for their iman for their strength a few more things with regards to this bab now children they attend the congregation big or small and when they have reached the age of tamiz meaning such an age in which they are able to distinguish between what is clean and what is not it's time to pray so on and so forth the salah is going on you know this maturity you know and this comes around the age of 7 8 so once they have developed this sense they should be performing the prayer what about leading the prayer the age of puberty is a condition okay but what's the evidence of that at the age of 10 a boy has to pray if he doesn't pray the father is allowed to physically i mean discipline him right which means that they cannot leave the prayer it's fard on them even though they haven't reached the age of puberty so when it's fard on them it means they can pray as munfarid individually they can pray as imam and they can even pray as ma'mum if they're made the imam then there better be a reason for that like they know more quran than others hmm? and there is a hadith in bukhari and muslim that we learned about earlier that one of the companions amr ibn salama He said that my father came from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and said that he had heard the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say when the time for prayer comes let the one among you who knows the most Quran lead you in prayer the one who knows most Quran lead you in prayer so they all looked and they did not find anyone who knew more Quran than me so they made me the imam and i was a boy of 6 or 7 years Hmm? six or seven years and he was made the imam and the hadith the longer version of this hadith it tells us that he was so small and he had such short clothes that when he would go down into sujood his aura would show so this woman one day she complained and she said come on people make something for your imam so everybody pulled in and they bought some clothes for him so that their imam would wear clothes that would cover his body So what's the condition for imama knowledge of Quran but in addition to that remember puberty is not a condition no what is the condition tamiz the sense of discernment i did wudu i lost my wudu i'm facing the qibla i should not be looking here and there you know some children no matter how much you tell them wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands they don't get it they're sitting on the toilet urine is everywhere you explain to them this is urine this is najis they don't get it 
And the mothers get so frustrated. People get frustrated. But you know what? It's going to come with age. Right? So some children by the age of five, six, they still don't get it. And some, mashallah, by the age of six, seven, they know how to use the bathroom properly, how to wash their hands, dry their hands, make sure the toilet is clean. They have that sense. So once a child develops a sense of tahara, and they know Qur'an, can they lead people in prayer? Yes, they can. So, do we understand this once and for all? Because every now and then there is a question and a big issue is made out of this matter. That how come a child is leading the people in prayer? Well, he knows more Qur'an than you and I. So he has all the right to lead. And he should be leading. One video I saw, this little child, the way he was standing in prayer was far better than the people behind him. Reading Qur'an, looking down, not looking here, there. The men behind him are looking here and there. He's standing properly. So properly. So when they have that sense and they know the Qur'an, why not? Of course, they should know the prayer. They should know how to perform the salah properly. Again, children, when they're given responsibility, they really become serious. And they perform really well. Really well. As long as they are given that responsibility, they are given that knowledge. If there is an older person who knows equal amount of Qur'an, should preference be given to him? Age, it's not necessarily a factor because of which a person should be given preference. But remember that when both have equal knowledge, and both should get their turns. So there is no harm if sometimes a child is leading and sometimes the other is leading. There is no harm in that. I remember when my um, brother, he was memorizing parts of the Qur'an, in the winter especially at night when it was impossible to go to the masjid my father many times he would make him lead why? because in that way he was getting his practice and he would also get to review his Quran when children are given that responsibility that leadership they are more interested think about it if my father were to read Surah Al-Rahman in Isha first rakah you think my brother would stand happily at the age of nine? he'd just be waiting when is the salah going to end? I want to go play my Xbox. Huh? But when he's the Imam and he's reciting, of course he's all in the prayer. Right? So chances, opportunities must be given to children. And if they're not given the opportunity in our masajid, when are they going to learn? Where are they going to get that experience? Where? Alhamdulillah, this Ramadan at Al-Huda, we had our own Hufad lead the Taraweeh prayer. And it was beautiful. I mean, one of the boys, his voice is just now getting heavy. And it was so nice to pray behind him. You know, it's such a good motivation for everybody, encouragement for many people, and at the same time, a great opportunity for that child. So, alhamdulillah, this is our goal, that we want to produce uh, reciters and, you know, qurra and hufaz, and also people who can lead others in prayer. And this is the reason why our doors will always be open for uh, children who can lead, who have the sense of tahara, who are good in their knowledge of the Qur'an, they will be given opportunity to lead others in prayer, inshallah. Let's move on. We have to conclude this chapter today. Bab khuruj al-nisa'i ila al-masajid bil-layli wal-ghalas. Khuruj al-nisa'i. Khuruj, the going out of al-nisa'i women ila al-masajid to the masajid when bil-layli in the night wal-ghalas. Ghalas is darkness. And basically women going out to the masajid in the darkness and in the night. So in the night, of course, for Isha prayer, in the darkness, this is darkness of Fajr prayer. Okay? 
for Isha when it is late or for Fajr early or sometimes in the month of Ramadan for Qiyamul Layl, can women go to the masjid? Is it permissible for them? حدثنا أبو اليماني قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني عروة بن الزبير عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت أعتم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالعتمة حتى ناداه عمر نام النساء والصبيان فخرج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال ما ينتظرها أحد غيركم من أهل الأرض ولا يصلى يومئذ إلا بالمدينة وكانوا يصلون العتمة فيما بين أن يغيب الشفق إلى ثلث الليل الأول same hadith as the previous one, just a slight difference in the wording at the end. That, وَكَانُوا يُصَلُّونَ الْعَتَمَةَ That the people used to perform their Isha prayer. In general, as routine, what was the habit? That fima in the time that was بَيْنَ between أَنْ يَغِيبَ الشَّفَقْ That the shafaq would completely disappear إِلَى ثُلُثِ اللَّيْلِ الْأَوَّلِ Until the first third of the night. Meaning first third of the night was over. So basically after Maghrib ended, the Prophet ﷺ would pray any time after that. Okay, until when maximum the latest he would pray was up to the end of the first third of the night. So at this occasion, the Prophet ﷺ delayed it until the very end of the first third of the night. So in this hadith, we see that the fact that Umar who said the women went to pray Salatul Isha late at night also. Hmm? حدثنا عبيد الله بن موسى عن حنظلة عن سالم بن عبد الله عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said إذا when استأذنكم seeks permission from you who نساؤكم your women when your women ask you بالليل in the night meaning about the night إلى المسجد to the masjid going to the masjid so if your women ask you to go to the masjid in the night for what purpose? for prayer, then give permission to them. Who is being told over here? The men, the fathers, the husbands, the brothers, the qawwam are basically being told that when your women take permission from you to go to the masjid at night, then let them go. تَابَعْهُ شُعْبَةُ عَنِ الْأَعْمَشِ عَنْ مُجَاهِدٍ عَنِ ibn عُمَرَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So from this hadith we learn that women are allowed to go to the masjid in the night. So if in the night they're allowed to go, what about the day? Even more so, right? Because obviously in the night it is more. I mean, you could say it's more dangerous, okay? Because that is when many, you know, fitnas and evils they spread. So if at that time women are allowed, meaning the Prophet ﷺ told the men to allow their wives to go, then that means obviously during the day they may go also. Obviously, when there is fear of danger and fitna, certain times of the year are more. You know, difficult in the sense that there might be some criminal on the run or there might be some people revolting out in the streets. So in that situation, a woman going out when there's gunfire and there's, you know, people who are after women to harass them physically, sexually abuse them. Then in that situation, obviously, if the father, if the husband stops the woman from going, then there's no harm in that. Now many people say, oh, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there wasn't much fitna. And these days things are very different, so women should not go to the masjid. You know what's amazing? The same people who stop women from going to the masjid, when they're going to the masjid, they will drop their wives at the malls. Yes, they will. They will drop their wives at the mall, they will go to the masjid, pray themselves, and then they will go pick their wives up. Where is greater fitna? In the masjid or in the mall? In the mall. 
at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, tell me, which year was it when there was no fear of the enemy? Which year? Every single year. Every single year there was fear of the enemy. Which enemy? The Quraysh of Makkah. The Bedouin tribes who would, you know, who had alliances with the Quraysh, they would come and harass the Muslims every now and then. Right? Munafiqoon in Medina, the Jews who lived very close to Medina. Okay? And then towards the end of the Prophet ﷺ's life, the Romans. Right? So tell me, when was it that it was not time of fitna? It was always the time of fitna. So you have to see each day, when is it safe? You know, where is it safe? Yes, certain areas are more, you know, risky, they're more dangerous. Other areas are not like that. So a person has to see what situation he is in, and based on that he should judge for himself. Yes, unfortunately in many Muslim countries there is no concept of women going to the masjid. No concept whatsoever. The women's areas, you know, for example, in masajid, the masajid which are built by, for example, Arabs hmm, in Muslim countries. So, for example, in Pakistan, there are many masajid that have been made built by Arabs. And obviously, when they will build a masjid, they will also make a section for the women. But those sections are converted into storerooms. They are. I remember once I was in Karachi, had to go to a doctor far, far from our house, and it was Maghrib time. I had to pray. But the driver, he just went in into the masjid. We were parked right outside the masjid. So me and my friend, we went up to the masjid door and we were not allowed to step foot. We're like, we need to pray. We can't pray out in the street. There was no street. It was all, you know, sewage and filth everywhere. There's no, where do we pray? We didn't know what to do. We weren't allowed to go into the masjid. So then we went and knocked on people's houses that were across from the masjid. And this one lady, she allowed us to come in, but she was so worried. Because obviously these two strange women have come into her house. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but we can't trust anyone these days. But I will let you come and pray. So it was so kind of her, she let us in. But unfortunately, there is no place for many women in the masjid. And the excuse that is made is fitna. Because she knows now I'm learning Quran and this was the first time she went for Eid prayer actually. And she didn't know, she went and she was very happy that she is able to go to Eid prayer. But before that she was very busy with the family and everything. She never got the chance. But what she called me because one of the other lady in our family that is considered to be the most knowledgeable in deen. And she is the only one who does the full niqab and everything. Mashallah she is very knowledgeable. But she said that uh, she called her and actually scolded her that how will you go to the masjid for Eid prayer? You are not supposed to. And she actually quoted the hadith from Sahih Bukhari that the hadith we learned that the Prophet said that the best place for women to pray is the closest corner in the house. She gave that hadith as evidence. That is for sure purposes. Yeah, means that's when I explained her and I told her these hadith and she send, told me if you can send me this link, I will give her that So hadith. alhamdulillah, more a hadith in Bukhari that show that women should go to the masjid. Why should they be allowed to go to the masjid? The Prophet ﷺ said, let them go. Why? Because when they will go to the masjid, who will go with them? Children. Why else should they go to the masjid? To pray there and get more reward. The whole generation, whatever like whatever will be her baby, and from her babies to another, the education will be moved to them. Yes. And the fact is that when our women were prevented from going to the masjid, then who 
kept away, the children. And when the whole family is sitting at home in front of the TV, why should the man go? Why should he go? So the woman stayed, the children stayed, the men also stayed. Now nobody goes to the masjid. And you know, women, when they will go, then children will go. My husband, he tells me about how when he started going to the masjid, his mother would drive him every day. May Allah reward her, because that is where he got the habit. She would drive him every day to the masjid. For Isha. Take him, make him pray there, and then come back. Take him again, take him again. Every day, the mother is taking the son. And this is how the habit began. And now, alhamdulillah, so much that if he doesn't pray in the masjid, at least Isha, it's like he feels that I haven't prayed. It's not the same. And this is an encouragement for us also that sometimes our husband, they allow us, the fathers allow us. We don't go. We don't go. This is, you know, not Ramadan. This hadith is not talking about just Ramadan. It's about the rest of the year also. So make a point to go to the masjid for Salatul Isha, especially when the nights are longer. Isha is early. You can take the children with you. Why not? And also remember when the women go to the masjid, they will learn how to pray. Because when you see someone praying, then you notice something. And you're like, how come they're doing it? I I don't know. So you ask them. And you learn something from other people. You listen to the Qur'an. You gain something beneficial. It's a human need to interact with others. It's a human need. One of the major reasons of Muslims' plight these days, their adverse situation that we are in, is that we have distant women from masajid. Because in Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam times and, and, and afterwards even, women used to come to masjid, they used to pray there, they used to even ask questions, they used to give their own comments, they used to interact with imam and people of knowledge. So the major reason of our plight is that we have distant women from masjid. Yes. And if a woman wishes to go study the deen somewhere, she is told, no, the best place for you is your home, your duty is towards your children and your family. She's a human being. She needs some motivation, some encouragement, some mental stimulation, a boost of faith. If men go to the masjid and they get their boost from there, women also need it. How is it that a woman is expected to stay at home, cook and clean all day, run after the children, change diapers, and have khushur in her prayer consistently? She needs a boost. Have pity on her. And when this reason is given that I need to go to learn so that my iman can improve, the question is asked, why is it that your iman is dependent on certain places? Of course, it is. Because we are human beings. These masajid are places of faith. Right? What is the haram? A place from where people, you know, they go and they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there, get a boost in their faith, and they go back to their homes. Is going all on the site. They said, You're crazy. Everything is on computer, everything is online. Why can't I've sending, I do all this stuff if I've been affecting on the line? But in online classes, it's not like motivating you that much, you sitting on the class. But right? even those who are taking it online, it's. No, no not uh, online. I mean, I mean yeah. just uh, online classes, not mean uh, what I'm trying to Any, say. Like you just if a person reading. has the opportunity to go in a gathering and sit there, yeah. then they will definitely reap more benefits. Again, there is another issue here. That just because a person is not allowed to go to a class, they say, what can I do? So do nothing at home. No. Remember that if plan A doesn't work, think about plan B. If you cannot go to a class, think about how you can take a class from home. How you can continue to improve your faith sitting at home. And there are many ways to do that.
But obviously in a gathering amongst other people, it is definitely helpful. Now, this hadith shows that the Prophet ﷺ, he told the men, when your women ask you, what does it show to us? That as women, what is our responsibility? That we must take permission from our guardians, whether they are our husbands or fathers or elder brothers, whoever they may be, whoever man of the family is in charge over us, we must take their permission before doing something unusual in the sense that going in the night is something unusual, right? Likewise, you're going to start up a class, you're going to join a class, you're going to go somewhere on the weekend, you're going to go somewhere in the evening. Take permission from your husband. Don't take it for granted. Take permission from him. He is the boss and let him feel that he is the boss. He is. Allah has made him the boss, so he is the boss. So take permission and remember that if permission is not taken, then it will cause distrust and unnecessary you know, strain in the relationship. Why create that? Communicate and over-communicate. Okay? Sometimes it happens that we think it's understood. I'm going to go here. He knows. It's my problem also sometimes. You know, you take it for granted. But this hadith is a very important reminder that take permission, inform, and what will happen? You will get their support. With their approval, you will get their support. And it's very, very important. People whose daughters might not be righteous, they might be, you know, without permission doing sinful acts. And then there might be a righteous daughter who's asking to go get, like, you know, go pray in the masjid or get more knowledge. And if you deny her that, then what are you setting up your society with? Like, you know, and also uh, referring to the point about going to masjid, uh, a woman who goes for hajj is considered a mujahidah. And so can you imagine, like, uh, she's going for hajj. You're going out of your house, you're going out of your way. And there's much reward in that because it brings you closer to Allah. So we have to see why somebody's asking. And even if you don't know the why, like the, the command is there for you to do it. Yeah. I mean, for women, it's very difficult to step out of the house, especially in the night. Okay. Now remember that when a woman goes to the masjid, then obviously she has to observe the proper etiquette. Right? What's the proper etiquette? Okay. Hijab in addition to that. The fragrance should not be such that it spreads. Hmm? Loud in the sense that it should not be disturbing. But a woman's voice in itself is not awrah. Okay? And uh, in the congregation, if the place is such that men and women are together in one place, then what did we learn from the hadith earlier? that as soon as a prayer ended, the women would get up so that the men have their space. The waiting of the people. Qiyam for the standing of al-imam, the imam who is al-alim, who is also knowledgeable. So basic people waiting for a knowledgeable imam to get up. In other words, once the prayer has ended, then what happens? What happens generally? Not just the women, even the men. What do they do? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And instantly people get up and start going. But what do we learn from this? That people should wait for the imam, especially when he is a person of knowledge. When you're praying behind a sheikh, a scholar, then wait. When he gets up, then you get up. Because it's disrespectful. And sometimes it's unfortunate that salam has been said and immediately the announcements have to be made. Because if they're not made, people will not know when you know, the timings are changed or any important information people will miss out on. So the imam doesn't get to do his dhikr. 
the people who are sitting over there, they don't get to do their adhkar. It's sad. So people should wait. It's not obligatory, but it is definitely more respectful. Do you have this bab written in your book? حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد حدثنا عثمان بن عمر أخبرنا يونس عن الزهري قال حدثتني هند بنت الحارث أن أم سلمة زوج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أخبرتها أن النساء في عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم The women in the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم كنا they used to إذا سلمنا They would say the salam in المكتوبة from the obligatory prayer قمنا They would stand up وَثَبَتَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would remain sitting وَمَنْ صَلَّى مِنَ الرِّجَالِ And also whoever had prayed amongst the men they would also remain sitting MashaAllah How much ever Allah willed Meaning sometimes for a few minutes sometimes longer sometimes less فَإِذَا قَامَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ قَامَ الرِّجَالِ When the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم got up then the men would get up Look at how much respect they had for Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم That perhaps You know, he may have to tell us something. He may have to teach us something. We will wait, you know, so that we can get his attention, right? Perhaps he wants to say something. So I don't want to miss out on anything. So the Sahaba would remain sitting until the Prophet ﷺ would be sitting. حدثنا عبد الله بن مسلمة عن مالك حاء وحدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن يحيى ابن سعيد عن عمرة بنت عبد الرحمن عن عائشة قالت شيساء إن كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يصلي الصبح indeed the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would perform the subh prayer meaning the fajr prayer فينصرف النساء then the women would leave while they were متلفعات متلفعات covered wrapped up in their garments بِمُرُوطِهِنَّ with their shawls meaning the women would have covered themselves with their shawls مَا يُعْرَفْنَ مِنَ الْغَلَسِ they could not be recognized because of the darkness now this hadith and the following ahadith they are a continuation of the previous bab what was the previous bab? women going to the masjid but in the middle there is this one bab inserted which is people waiting for the imam which shows to us that Imam Bukhari is you know teaching us something in the middle that women going to the masjid what is the etiquette that they should leave meaning as soon as a prayer is ended they should leave why the men should remain sitting so that they're with the imam perhaps they will learn something okay but the women should leave why because this was a masjid in which there was no men section and no women section It was just a main one room in which the men prayed in the front and the women prayed in the back. So when the men would have to leave, they would have to come through the women's section, you can say, where the women were praying. So for the best interest of the men and in the best interest of the women, uh, the women, they would just leave themselves. And this shows to us that in general, whenever people are gathered somewhere, whether it is for the purpose of ta'aleem, for the purpose of ibadah, whenever people are gathered. You know, even in a house, when they're gathered for the purpose of eating, on a wedding, then what is best? That the men are sitting separate from the women. It doesn't mean that there has to be a wall in the middle. If you have a wall, men can relax, women, they can relax even more. They can take their hijabs off and, you know, have their good time. They can talk however they want, sit, you know. It's more relaxing for the women. But if there is no wall in the middle, and they're in the same area, 
men should be sitting separate from the women. Because if in salah this is being done, then what about everything else? In salah when you're looking down, but in other events, you know, for example, a class, then what is best? That the women's seats are separated from the men's seats. It doesn't mean that for sure women have to be at the back, men have to be in the front. In salah for sure this is the case. Okay, because you have to form rows. Okay, but seating, at least the seating should be how separate. It should not be mixed up. Because unfortunately, in the name of Islam, many people do gather. But what happens? There is more fitna than khair, right? And this is unfortunate that it has spread everywhere. There is more fitna than there is khair. Right? Lectures are going on inside. But the girls and the guys, what are they doing? Checking each other out. Right? This is what's going on basically. It doesn't mean that uh, there has to be absolute segregation. No, but the place where the women are, you know, their seating, their bathrooms, their eating area, their praying area. And alhamdulillah, this is observed in many places, many places, and you know exactly how it is. It's very, very comfortable. Women's entry, you know, men's entry, the doors, even if they're side by side, even if they're side by side, but just having a separate door for men, separate door for women, even that is helpful. And this is for the protection of both men and women, for not just their protection, but also their convenience. Right? I mean, I'd love to be able to take my naqab off, you know, and breathe easily. And that's only possible if I'm sitting amongst women. Not when there is a man in the row behind me or in the row in front of me. It's not going to be possible. You can speak more comfortably. So if in salah this convenience has been made, then why not in other things? So from this hadith, what do we learn? That the women would go for fajr prayer, even in the darkness. And remember the Prophet ﷺ prayed fajr early. He ended it at a time when people would just begin to you know, see each other because the light had just entered and this is when the women would be going back home. Wrapped up and yet they would not be recognized. حدثنا محمد بن مسكين قال حدثنا بشر أخبرنا الأوزاعي Have you heard of the name Awza'i? حدثني يحيى بن أبي كثير عن عبد الله بن أبي قتادة الأنصاري عن أبيه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إني لأقوم إلى الصلاة Indeed, I stand up for the prayer. وَأَنَا أُرِيدُ And I intend أَنْ أُطَوِّلَ فِيهَا That I should make it long. Meaning I should make the qira'ah long in it. You know, make a long qiyam. فَأَسْمَعُ But then I hear بُكَاءَ الصَّبِيِّ The crying of a baby. فَأَتَجَوَّزُ فِي صَلَاتِ Then I shorten my prayer. Why? كَرَاهِيَةَ أَنْ أَشُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمِّهِ Out of dislike that I would create difficulty for his mother. So, this shows that the women would go to the masjid to pray. And not just the women, but also the children. And this also shows that the prayer may be shortened when there is a need. Shortened not in the sense that you shorten four rakah into two. No. That you intended to recite, let's say, one complete surah. Then halfway through you realize you know, it would be difficult, either for yourself or for the people behind you. Then what can you do? Shorten the recitation and go into rukur. Remember the Prophet ﷺ was reciting Surah Al-Mu'minun and then he coughed. And then he 
This went into ruku. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن يحيى بن سعيد عن عمرة عن عائشة رضي الله عنها قالت لو أدرك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم She said if the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم had known meaning if he was here at this time ما أحدث النساء meaning if he had known about what is happening to the women with the women لمنعهن surely he would have stopped them just as the women of the Bani Israel were prevented. So in this hadith, we learned that Aisha, she said that if the Prophet was here, and he saw the state of affairs at this time, then he would not have allowed the women to go to the masjid. Because remember that soon after the death of the Prophet, Abu Bakr became the Khalifa. And what happened at that time? There were many people who revolted. Right? Ridda. There was apostasy. Many, many tribes, they left Islam. Medina was in constant danger. At the same time, a huge army had to be sent to face the Romans because that army had been prepared by the Prophet ﷺ. And Abu Bakr did not want to stop an army that the Prophet ﷺ was dispatching. So many of the men were gone over there. And there was constant fear. Okay? So it was a very different situation in which there was, you can say the fear was unlike any other fear that the Muslims had experienced before. Because now even Prophet ﷺ was not there. So Aisha said, these days, when the situation is very different, women should not be going. Because it's not in their best interest. It's not safe. So the statement of Aisha should not be generalized. Okay, people generalize a statement. You have to take all of the ahadith together. The Prophet ﷺ said, allow the women to go. Aisha ﷺ said, you know, if the Prophet ﷺ was here and he saw all of this, he would not have allowed. Which shows that in general, women should be allowed. In general, they should be allowed. But at times when there is a lot of fitna out in the streets, then why put yourself in danger? Hmm? Like for example, at certain times it happens that you find out in the news that the police have warned, for example, the students of a particular university that after hours, if they have to go to the parking lot after you know dusk or something, then they should not go themselves. Then they should call up the security, right? Why? Because there have been reports of you know certain crimes. So a woman should she say, no, 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 it's safe. I don't care. I, I'm allowed to go here. I have my pass. I should be allowed to go. No. You are allowed to go, but in your best interest, you know, call up the security and go with someone. Right? So there are those unusual times, unusual situations. So if in those situations the father, the husband does not allow her to go, should she become very stubborn over there? She should accept it. So for example, huge snowstorm. And your husband is very familiar with your driving style. So he says, today you should not go. And you're like, no, but you're going to work. Why should I not go? If you can drive all the way to work, I can also go. He knows that you cannot even speak to any tow truck driver. You don't have the guts to talk to them. And you don't know what to do with your car. May Allah protect, but if it gets into some accident, you don't know what to do. So for your safety, he's telling you not to go. Don't become stubborn there. 
if the roads are clean, everything is safe, go ahead. You know, go ahead and try to get permission. But if for your safety he has said don't go, please accept it. Don't become stubborn over there. Okay? And make dua. Allah make way for you and make your family the best support for you in every cause of good that you know khair that you want to participate in. One more thing. If in times of fitna, extreme fitna, women should not attend the masjid, then should they be going out on the streets and protesting? Have you heard in the news about, I'm sure you've seen pictures even of women who went out in hijab in certain places and their hijabs were ripped off and not just their hijabs, even their clothes were Yes. This is true. In Egypt it's well known. In certain areas, the way certain women have been attacked They've been attacked and they've been traumatized. And it's a particular strategy with which they harass women so that you know she's traumatized for the rest of her life and the rest of the women also don't dare to come out. It's well known. It's all over the news. I, I remember reading an article about that once. So it's for her own safety. For her own safety to avoid crowded places, to avoid places where there is risk of fitna, fear of fitna. Don't go there. Keep away for your own good. Now before we move to the next bab, one more thing. That remember that the Sharia has you know certain objectives. Meaning everything that is commanded, it's because it's good for us. And everything that is forbidden, it's because it is bad for us. Right? Keeping away from it is good for us and doing it is harmful for us. And this is the reason why we have been forbidden. Now there are many things about which, you know, there's clear-cut ruling. Halal, haram. Halal, you know it's good for you. Fard, you know it's good for you. Haram, you know it's bad for you. But then there's something in the middle. Like this issue. In which there could be benefit and there could be harm. Sometimes the benefit and the harm could be equal. And sometimes... The harm could be more, the benefit could be less, or the other way around. Right? So in these situations, uh, what should a person do? Use his wisdom and weigh the pros and cons basically and see what is best. Okay? Bab salatin nisa'i rijali. The prayer of the women is behind the men. Why? Women behind the men. Why? What's the one reason? Because that is how the prayer was performed at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Hmm? The women did not pray next to the men. Where did they pray? Behind the men. Whether it was in the masjid or it was in the house of someone. Remember the old lady? The grandmother of Anas huh? She invited the Prophet ﷺ for food. He came, he ate, and then he said, we'll pray. Anas who went and brought a mat sprinkled water over it in order to soften it. The Prophet ﷺ stood in the front, the two children behind him, and the grandmother behind everybody. So the prayer of the women is behind the men, always. Even if you're praying with your husband, okay, or if you're praying with your brother, you cannot stand next to a man. You have to be behind. And what if the place is very small? Even then you have to be behind even though it may be just a step or two steps, whatever, but it has to be behind. Okay? Meaning when there is jama'ah. Okay? When there is congregation. Why? 
What's the hikmah? It is a reality that if you read the statistics on this, that how often is it that a man gets such a thought, an average man, you'd be, your face would go red. Um, but uh, basically, the women are at the back so that in a bigger congregation, it's not a distraction for the men. And women can also pray comfortably. They can also pray comfortably. Right? I mean, you're going into Dukur, you're going into your sajda. You can move easily, you can sit easily. It's for the comfort of the women also. And there's also organization. Right? There's organization here. And the thing is that when men and women are mixed up, then what happens? I mean, a, a man might bump into a woman, a woman might bump into a man, and that, that might ruin your day. It might disgust you so much that your evening is ruined. Right? غير محرم man. What happened? So, for that reason also, everyone is comfortable, separate areas. حدثنا يحيى بن قزعة قال حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد عن الزهري عن هند بنت الحارث عن أم سلمة رضي الله عنها قالت she said كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا سلم قام النساء حين يقضي تسليمه She said that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray and he used to end the prayer, the women would stand up when the taslim was done. Meaning when the second taslim was done, the women would get up. وَيَمْكُثُ And the Prophet ﷺ would remain. هُوَ هِي فِي مَقَامِهِ In his place. يَسِيرًا A little while. قَبْلَ Before أَنْ يَقُومَ That he would rise. قَالَ Azuri, He said, نَرَى We think, وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمَ And Allah knows best. أَنَّ ذَلِكَ This was because كَانَ لِكَيْ So that يَنْصَرِفَ النِّسَاءُ The women could leave. قَبْلَ أَنْ يُدْرِكَهُنَّ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ Before any of the men would see them. حدثنا أبو نعيم قال حدثنا ابن عيينة عن إسحاق عن أنس رضي الله عنه قال صلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في بيت أم سليم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم prayed in the house of Um Sulaim فقمت ويتيم خلفه وأم سليم خلفنا So I and the yatim were behind him and Um Sulaim was behind us Um Sulaim is the grandmother of Anas رضي الله عنه باب سرعة صراف النساء سرعة Swiftness of insliraf in nisa'i, the leaving of the women. Min al-subhi, at fajr time, meaning at fajr prayer. وَقِلَّةِ مَقَامِهِنَّ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ And the shortness of their stay, meaning the time that they stay in the masjid. In other words, when the women go for prayer, even if it's in the darkness of the uh, night at Isha or uh, fajr, what should they do? Especially when the room is one, then after the prayer, Quickly get up and leave as soon as possible. And don't linger on in the masjid for a very long time. But if there is a separate women section, then there is no harm. Enjoy. حدثنا يحيى بن موسى حدثنا سعيد بن منصور حدثنا فليح عن عبد الرحمن بن القاسم عن أبيه عن عائشة رضي الله عنها أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يصلي الصبح بغلس The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to perform the fajr prayer in the darkness فينصرفنا نساء المؤمنين then the women of the believers meaning the believing women they would leave لا يعرفن من الغلس they could not be recognized because of the darkness أو لا يعرف بعضهن بعضا or the people would not recognize each other because it was still quite dark. So the women would not wait until sunrise. What would they do? Leave after the prayer. And as a general rule in life, okay, when you're done with something and you've got nothing to do over there, then, okay, I mean for the men it makes sense because they're going to be with the Prophet ﷺ. He's going to teach them something. They're going to ask him something. 
And a woman, I mean, generally, the women would have their men ask, or they would go to Aisha radiallahu anha. Or they would meet with the Prophet away from the men. Okay, in the sense that in his house while his wives were present or in another situation, not when a crowd of men is there, then a woman would go. So this was not really the place of women. So you go somewhere, you've done what you've done, then don't just hang around wasting time. Move on, go back and do what you have to do over there. Because sometimes it happens that a program is over, a meal is over, a class is over, but people are just sitting outside, on the stairs, standing outside, Right? So this is a very important etiquette that leave, you know, فَإِذَا فَرَغْتَ When you're done, then فَنْصَبْ Go get busy, meaning in something else. Start your next task. باب استئذان المرأة زوجها بالخروج إلى المسجد استئذان المرأة The woman taking permission. زوجها, her husband, بالخروج إلى المسجد in order to go out to the masjid. Again, this is mentioned as a separate verb. حدثنا مسدد حدثنا يزيد بن زريع عن معمر عن الزهري عن سالم بن عبد الله عن أبيه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا when استأذنت she takes permission امرأة the wife woman أحدكم of one of you فلا يمنعها then he should not stop her so what do we learn that men should not stop them from going and women should not go without permission either so now think about it Women should not go without permission and men should not stop them. So, women should just go. When we think about it, why is it that they have to take permission and the men are not supposed to stop them? So why bother ask? When Allah and His Messenger have allowed, why should she be taking permission from her husband? Communicate. Communicate. Ask and get the approval. It may seem unnecessary, but it is necessary for a healthy Relationship. You see, when a woman wants to keep a voluntary fast, is she supposed to take permission from her husband? Yes. yes. So, don't always take things for granted. Communicate. It'll make things better. So, with this hadith, alhamdulillah, we conclude this chapter. The next, huh? And the volume, the first volume. Alhamdulillah. The next book will be Kitabul Jumu'ah. The Friday prayer. So if there's any question related to salah, please ask. Okay? If you remember later, email. So inshallah they can be addressed in the next class. Okay, in the volume that you have, you have two more ahadith. Okay, we'll read them. حدثنا أبو نعيم قال حدثنا ابن عيينة عن إسحاق عن أنس قال صلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في بيت أم سليم فقمت ويتيم خلفه وأم سليم خلفنا. Is it this hadith? We read this hadith earlier. حدثنا يحيى بن قزعة حدثنا إبراهيم بن سعد عن الزهري عن هند بنت الحارث عن أم سلمة قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا سلم قام النساء حين يقضي تسليمه. When the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم ended the prayer, he said that the sleep, then the women would get up, وهو يمكث في مقامه يسيرا قبل أن يقوم, and he would remain in his place for a little while before getting up. قالت she said, who said? Hind bint Harith. She said to Zuhri. And Zuhri, he said, Nura, wallahu a'lam, and Allah knows best, anna thalika kana likayyan sarifan nisa'u qabla an yudrikahunnar rijal. We think that perhaps he did so, so that the women might leave before the men could catch up with them. And this also shows to us that when you see men leaving, 
let them leave. Or when you see women leaving, men see women leaving, then they should also let them leave. Give way. Yield. Any question? Yes. Mm-hmm. A few days back it happened in our masjid when Imam prayed three rakahs and we were praying Zohar. And we were like behind the partition Bang. so we didn't know that Imam sat down. We stood up for the fourth rakah and when he said salam we finished our rakah. But I was confused because I saw some sisters were doing sajda sahu and some sisters actually made up the fourth rakah that Imam did even after finishing their four rakahs. So what were the right so, thing to do at see, that See, the thing is that when you realize that you are doing something other than the Imam, then as soon as you realize, you leave what you're doing and follow the Imam. Okay? Now the Imam is making a mistake here. Did he make up the fourth rakah later? Yeah. In congregation or separately? In congregation. So what you do at that time is that, for example, you're standing... And you're waiting to go into ruku, but you hear assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Okay. So then, what do you do? What happened over there? I Separately. No, what did the imam do? Okay, so then you go into sitting position, say the salam, okay, because you have to follow the imam, right? And then as soon as the imam stands up for the fourth rakah, okay, you stand with him. You pray the fourth rakah with him. And do the sajda sahab with him. See, the thing is, when the imam is making a mistake, it is the responsibility of the people behind him to make him realize, inform him. Okay. If he gets it, good. If he doesn't get it, or you don't know he's making a mistake because there's a barrier in the middle, you keep following the imam until the end of the prayer because that is what the sahaba did. So we were supposed to, from the uh, qiyam position, directly go to tashahad and do salam. Yeah, and and then with the imam... Okay, not that you start saying your tashahud, the imam ended the prayer, so you also just go into sitting position, end the prayer, and then... He ended his salah, then we should also end the salah, because you don't know what his condition was. Maybe he broke his wudu, maybe there was something happened, so, you know, like he actually announced it right after that he had forgotten, and we got up and we made yes, that because So that he is followed, and if everybody starts doing their own thing, then there's confusion. I'm sure... So just go where the imam is. After the salah, imam will correct the mistake. Okay? Inshallah. And you correct it with him. Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah, we finished this book. We so happy. Make dua for us, inshallah. May Allah give us action and ikhlas. Amen. 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 Just one tip for women who are going what you have learnt in the Salah in this class. But for me personally, all the positions that we did recently, I find I have so much more concentration in my Salah. And I'm trying to teach it. My family is a bit difficult, but my Halakha group right now. And I asked them even yesterday, I emailed us, what would you like to study tonight? And they said, please, please continue with the Salah. Because you won't, I think when you share, you remember more. Yeah. And, and you know what? Please also share with your family members. Okay? Because uh, charity begins at home. At home. So you don't have to say that, okay, I have to tell you what I learned in class today. You can just say, like for example, when I generally share with my husband, I always ask him, so for example, in the tashahud, how is it that we're supposed to raise the finger? Okay, move the finger. And he told me what he knew. 
I said, you know, this is what I found out today. I was amazed that the Prophet ﷺ only rafa'a once, not rafa'a wa khafada, just rafa'a, raised it once. And then he, yuharriku bid dua he was moving it with dua. So every time you say the words of dua, that is when you give haraka. And sometimes you'll be astonished that they already know something and you don't know it. Because men, they go to the masjid, so mashallah, their exposure is much more. Hmm? What happened was um, we were discussing uh, about salah and uh, we were in the car and my brother-in-law just asked me like, um, you know, after the tashahud, the du'as that you're supposed to make, are they only supposed to be in Arabic or could you say it in your own language? And I completely had no idea. I'm like, you know, it's preferred to say it in Arabic, but, you know, and you should say it in Arabic. And he's like, no, but, you know, he's sorry, you know, he didn't agree with that. So what should we do? And also in Qunut, like... The thing is that the language of the Salah is Arabic. You know, the official language is Arabic. So you have to use that language. Okay. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.